pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 241. Today I'm going to chat with Mike, aka Mr. Guns and Gear, discuss evidence of the ATF lying to Congress, highlight a new PCC from BNT, and talk about Elon Musk's bid to take over Twitter. I'm your host, Ava Flannell, and right now I have a little peaches trying to climb up on my shoulder like a little bird. <laughs> She's so annoying, I swear. Right before the show started, I told Mike, I'm like, I think it would have been easier if I just had a baby, but uh, debatable. But anyways, Mike, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. I absolutely cannot complain. Yeah, that's good. And it seems like you guys have much better weather where you are than here in Colorado. If you guys are in Colorado, you know what I'm talking about. It's been so freaking windy. Like the other night, I woke up in the middle of the night and it was so windy and I kept thinking, I was like, I'm going to wake up to like nothing, like all this damage. Surprisingly, there wasn't a lot of damage, but it did blow my door to my garage open. And I heard I have sensors on all my doors and windows and I heard that open. And so, of course, I like go into like operator mode, you know, with my gun and I'm trying to figure <laughs> out what's going on. <laughs> but I'm also like exhausted. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you when you thought somebody broke into your house? Oh, yeah. And and then you also kind of realize like afterwards how you're like, OK, well, thinking back, I probably should have done this and that instead of this. <laughs> yeah. So I've actually had people break into my house uh, two times. Really? Life. Well, one time they got in and one time they didn't. I actually have a video up on my YouTube channel about about the guy, the one who didn't get in. And uh, he actually didn't get in because I basically pied a corner uh, right into my uh, foyer mm -hmm. and there were glass windows on the side of the door that after this incident were frosted, but before that were clear. Uh -huh. And uh, I could see the guy trying to kick my door in right through it. And I just illuminated it with a weapon light on my AR-15 and uh, he took off running. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then what about the person that did make it inside? Uh, so my dog got him first and they ran out. Okay. Well, unfortunately. Yeah, we, were the, we were on the second floor and my dog just went right down and dang. went after him. Yeah. Good dog. I wonder if Peaches will be able to do that for me one day. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> we So uh, I think we need to get over the fact that she can't go down the stairs. So unlike Tickles, Tickles, I would have to carry up and down the stairs. She did not do the stairs at all. Peaches is a little bit more ballsy. She could actually go up the stairs, but she can't go down the stairs. And she's gotcha. slightly smaller than Tickles, but not by much for right now because she just keeps eating. Like she's a little piglet and I'm pretty sure that she's not a teacup chihuahua anymore think yeah. they lied to me but yeah i don't know it's pretty crazy well it was the wind that blew my door open but here i am going into operator mode like all right peaches don't worry i got us just get behind me and you know that's how that went yeah. but okay. all right before we get into the show so smith and wesson The MMP 1522, it's always been a great option, especially for like affordable training. Smith & Wesson, though, it just made things a little bit better by releasing one of their Performance Center ARs in the 1522. So the Performance Center MMP 1522 Sport is fully decked out. It's got an 18-inch threaded barrel, a 10-inch M-Lock forend and adjustable stock. The grip is from Hogue, and it comes with Magpul Embus sights. The trigger is upgraded with a two-stage match trigger. It has a match-grade precision barrel chamber, 
and trigger tuned at the Performance Center. So it's super accurate. So if you want to check that out, head on over to smith-wesson.com. And as I'm saying this, Peaches is chewing on my table. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, I don't know why I got a dog. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. Mike, I haven't had you on for, I guess, 140 episodes because I think you joined me for my 100th episode anniversary. And I think that was the last time you were on. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right on that one. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. 140 episodes, which I don't know how long that's been, but a lot has definitely happened since then. For those who may not be familiar with what it is that you do in the industry, can you just kind of give us a little rundown? Sure. So uh, primarily make YouTube videos, but do you know social media posting on all of the majors, if you will. I just got my Facebook page back. It was unpublished last week. But anyway, um, so I do videos, product reviews, firearms, uh, firearm accessories, as well as uh, tutorials. Um, Like I literally right before jumping on here, finished a video, basically teaching people how to zero an M249. Because obviously a lot of folks don't know how to do that. So just tutorials like that. Um, A lot of armor testing, a lot of uh, ballistics testing, you know. Fun stuff, you know, redneck science. Yeah, we did. I love it. And how long have you been in this industry now? So I think if you look up my YouTube channel, I think it'll say I started in 2012, but I didn't actually start making videos for like for real, if you will, until around 2015, 2014. Huh. Yeah. Okay, cool. Quite a while though, still. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because I was just thinking, I mean, technically I became an instructor in 2013. And I'm like, man, I'm going on 10 years. I used to be like, oh, well, I'm a noob to the industry. <laughs> I just shot my first that. gun like two years ago. And now I'm like, well, I can't even say that anymore because I feel like, you know, I've been around <laughs> quite a bit and For I've sure. seen it change. I've seen lots of ups and downs. And I guess, you know, you're kind of the same way. And actually before that you were in the military. So it's not yeah. even like you just got your hands on guns at that point. But mm-hmm. as far as like making videos and stuff, let's go back to you mentioned the 249. The FN M249S, which stands for semi-auto. I recently, if you guys follow me on social media, I recently thought about buying one. The gun store that I go to, well, the shooting range, actually, they had two. And I was like, oh, I just, uh, I kept thinking, I was like, man. So they were like 10,000. One was 10,000. One was 10,500. My cost would have been about 9,000. And here I am starting to like, you know, think like trying to justify like, all right, (laughs) Well, I know I have this new house being built and I totally, you know, anticipate putting as much money as possible down when I close. But, you know, I mean, this house is so expensive, like really in hindsight, what's (laughs) 10,000? You know what I mean? And then, of course, I was also thinking like, well, it's cool to have a 249, but it's like semi-auto. So, of course, then you're like you and I, we both have our FFLs. You have your do you have your 07? I did. Okay. I don't have my 07 yet, but I would get it, obviously, in order to make this full auto. And so then I'm like, all right, let me do some research to see like how easy it actually is to convert. So I've heard mixed things. It is pretty easy. Yeah. So the the thing that I'm, I, I don't know this yet. I literally just got it, I don't know, two days ago, three days ago. So when the first batch came out in like 2017, uh-huh. I think it was, 
Um, they had a different stri- so it functions as a striker fired gun, which is really weird. Like I have extensive experience with the real two four nine, and so like it's it's hard for me to get my head around like the way this thing operates. And I, when I was on the range, I was doing things like you would with a full auto one. Yeah. And it was like causing issues. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a learning curve there to go back to semi-auto. But but one thing that's different on this one is the new ones that are out, you know, 2022 batch has a totally different striker mechanism than the earlier ones. So I think it'll still be easy just looking at it um, versus a standard one, but uh, we'll have to look. Hmm. And typically on that like 2017, 2018 batch versions. Yeah. You could still use a semi-auto carrier. You just had to cut it in a different way. Um, but I'm not sure if that'll be the case on this one, but I'll find out. Either way, I don't think it'll be that difficult. And to my understanding, so I know that FN, when they first released the M249 semi-auto, they actually, the reason why they changed it is because did ATF come back and they were like, no, it's too easy to convert to full auto. You have to like change the way that you make it. Probably. Um, I've heard that as well. I don't know many people at FN to really ask, but yeah, that would, well, I mean, the ATF is very inconsistent in what they do. But yeah. You they, can't really say like, oh, that would make sense because we're talking about the ATF here, you know? Correct. Cause open bolt semi-auto guns are perfectly legal. A lot of people don't know that, but there's, there's tons of them out there in America mm-hmm. already. So there's no real restriction against doing that, but maybe that was the ATF saying that yeah. it would be too easy. I don't know. It's, yeah. Who knows with them? Huh? Man, either way, I'm super jealous that you got that gun because I, I mean, I like lost sleep over it. I was like thinking about it at night, like doing some research. I also, cause then I was like, well, do I even know how to turn it, you know, full auto? Cause some of these guns are easier than others. And then I had a few people reach out to me and they're like, Hey, we'll help you out. And then another person's like, yeah, we could do it for 5,000. And then I was like researching to see like what exact parts you needed. And it's like crazy. It's really you know, I don't know, but, but that's cool. You can definitely do it for a lot less than 5,000. I can tell you that much. 100%. Okay. I mean, that probably makes sense that why the company, well, another guy said 20,000 and I was like, what? No. Yeah. You can do it for like around. Well, right now I don't, it depends how many of them FN sells, but right now the used parts for them that you need for it is around 3,000, 3,500. Interesting. Gotcha. But if they sell a bunch of them, then that price will probably go up because there'll be more people like us, you know, wanting to convert mm-hmm. them. But. Yeah. And it also seems like recently they just kind of put a bunch in the market because yeah. now yeah. I've just been yeah. seeing like yeah. a lot of people have them. Then, yeah, maybe it will go up. But who knows? Either way, I decided to take the responsible route and I was like, let me get my house. It's supposed to be done in August. I'll settle in and then, you know, I'll get all the guns then. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why, but we'll see. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Okay. I'm just kind of curious. So you review a lot of stuff, you get your hands on a lot of cool things. Is there anything that you've seen? And I know this question is kind of hard, but any products that you've seen this past year that you're like super impressed with? Yes, this year for sure. So um, it's the Mist 22V, uh, which essentially is an integrally suppressed barrel mm-hmm. for the uh, Smith & Wesson Victory 22. It's awesome i have it the review's done i'm waiting on editing but it's i mean it's just comical like when you pick it up and shoot it like you just expect you know like a normal gunshot or even a suppressed gunshot uh type of sound but uh-huh. it's just not there i mean it is quiet and quiet, it's quiet. it's called the mist like m-i-s-t yep dash 22 v for victory um and basically if you take your victory just like uh, when you disassemble it uh-huh. and you remove your barrel it's the exact same process so it's super easy it's 
the whole thing, I think, is two screws. And uh, it's made by Gemtech? Yep. Huh. Yep. Okay. I'm going to have to contact Smith and Wesson then and be like, hey, I know I like trash talk the victory and was like, it's kind of ugly. I never want to own one, but I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the victory doesn't look great. I'll give you that. It doesn't. Um, but it shoots well. Yeah. I have the performance center version. And I, actually, the thing I hate about the performance center is the magazine release is huge. And I have huge hands. Yeah. So I just constantly hit it. And like the mag's dropping out mid magazine. But other yeah. than that, it's been a very good gun. Yeah, I don't really like the extended magazine release on a lot of these guns. Like, especially when, you know, like, let's say you're putting together a polymer 80, all the aftermarket mag releases just like stick out so much. And I guess I could understand if you were like constantly training with the gloves, it makes sense. But for me, I don't typically wear gloves. That's actually why I liked the Canic, the SFX Rival, because Mm -hmm. they came with a bunch of different sizes for the mag release. So if you wanted it, you know, a little bit more flush with that gun, you can change it. Or if you wanted it to stick out more. And yep, so that was first, nice. That's the first thing I did when I got mine in is took all the extended pieces off of it. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just don't like it, but I've noticed that, and maybe I haven't really looked around as much, but like when you are building something kind of like a Palm Rady, you know, and looking for the Glock parts, as far as like the mag release, it seems like all of the aftermarket parts have that really extended mag release. Yeah, Unless you uh, found anything else that. So because uh, the 43X and the 48 take the shield arms uh, mags, uh-huh. the 15 rounders, I went looking for aluminum mag releases for it because they recommend that. So you don't wear it on your polymer, which makes perfect sense. Uh-huh. But so the only one I could find was made by AIM Surplus that wasn't extended. You're right. Every other one was super extended. Yeah. So that's what I found. It's so weird, huh? Okay. So you said AIM Plus? AIM Surplus. AIM Surplus. AIM okay. I'll have to look at that. Yeah. All right. I'm going to take a quick break real quick. Talk about primary arms. Primary arms has the new co-branded Holosyn HE 509RD with the ACSS Vulcan reticle in stock right now. The ACSS Vulcan is nice because it has that 65 MOA circle that's normally invisible, but if your grip angle's off, you'll see part of the circle so that you know quickly how to get back on target. It's also really great if you're training somebody on how to use a red dot or if you're just trying to, you know, I was using this, I think it was like from Strikeman Pro. And it had a little app and it was like, okay, hit the number two, hit the number three. And it was kind of nice. I used that optic for it because it was just super easy to get on target. But the HE509 is the second one to use the Vulcan reticle. And it's cool because it's an enclosed emitter red dot. That means that the emitter is completely enclosed with the red dot. So it can't get blocked by lint or anything when you're carrying it and provides a lot more protection overall. It's got up to 20,000 battery life and the dry out battery tray so that you don't have to unmount to change the battery, which is a huge plus in my opinion. Definitely check it out, primaryarms.com. Remember, if you use the code AVA, that's A-V-A, you're going to get a free one-piece scope mount with every Primary Arms optic that you buy. And again, that is primaryarms.com. Mike, one of the main reasons why I brought you on the show is I wanted to talk to you about what's going on with ATF and you know, their recent discussion of quote unquote ghost guns, you stay up to date with politics. And I figured you'd be perfect to talk to about this. 
If you guys aren't aware, on Monday, President Biden held a big like new anti-gun propaganda rally under the facade of reducing, quote unquote, gun violence. Really, absolutely nothing came from the announcement. I mean, nothing that's going to end or reduce gun violence. All they're doing is really making things harder for legal gun owners. So first off, he announced a new nomination to head the ATF, Stephen Dettenbach, which hopefully I'm saying his last name who has a long history of being anti-gun and has the endorsement of anti-gun groups. Second, he announced the new final rule for changing the definitions on firearms. This new rule goes after homemade firearms as well as changing definitions of what must be serialized. Bear in mind that the ATF does not have any legal authority to write law. They're violating the separation of powers by implementing new law by executive fiat. Just like the bump stock ban, it's unconstitutional and must be challenged in court which, I mean, we still haven't seen the outcome of that. So the full rule is 365 pages, and it declares that the complete 80% kits like the P80s, which are, you know, the buy, build, shoot kits, are firearms and require serial numbers, which need to be purchased through an FFL with a 4473 form. On the surface, it doesn't make 80% frames or lowers illegal or require serial numbers, though, only if they are part of a complete kit, which is so weird. It is. And additionally, the way I read it is that if you are a FFL selling an 80%, then it needs a serial number as well, but an individual person does not. But again, what difference does it make if you purchase a barrel, a slide, and an 80% frame versus just a frame? Then how does that work with, let's say, Palmer 80? And that's just because, you know, you think 80% frames, you automatically think, you know, P80. But let's say you go to their website and you either buy the kit or you put individual parts in your car and then you check out Palmer 80 if they're an FFL, would that now require them to have those parts sent to an FFL so that then they'd have to go to the gun store, fill out a 4473 before they can obtain those parts? So that's my understanding, yes. Okay. Um, my guess, and again, this is totally a guess. I have not talked to anybody at these companies about it yet. Yeah. Of what they're going to do is if they have an FFL, just dissolve it. That's what I would do. Because I'm, sure I'm sure the majority of their business isn't FFL related. Yeah. So I would I would just dissolve it and push on. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Because, yeah, if they don't have an FFL, then they could essentially go back to just doing what they were doing. Right. Other than, that's, you know, that's, selling that's kits. Right. Exactly. That's how I read it. So and I don't think I'm alone in that. I've heard other people echo that sentiment. So I'm pretty sure that that's what I would do if I was them for sure. The only thing is, is like they've written it so arbitrarily that they'll be able to move like the line on what a kit requiring a serial number is whenever they want. And it also adds confusing definitions to types of guns with split receivers to make it up to the ATF to decide what parts require serial numbers, which what do they mean by split receivers? The most obvious one that comes to mind is the AR-15, because the way the definition, the legal definition uh, as passed by Congress in an entity that actually has the ability to make laws. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the way the definition reads in AR-15, lower receiver is not a firearm. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but in 2019, there was a guy that got charged with, quote unquote, selling AR-15s. And what he was actually doing was he was inviting people to come into his shop. He had a little CNC machine. Somebody would buy an 80% lower. That customer would put the lower into the machine then press a button that milled it out. So the customer was doing all of the work mm-hmm. to finish it out. 
off. And anyway, he got arrested and charged with selling AR-15s. He actually wasn't charged with selling 80 percenters or anything like that. But what ended up happening is when it went to court, the ATF dropped their charges because they would have had to admit under cross-examination that an AR-15 lower um, doesn't meet the definition of a firearm because it doesn't. And, you know, obviously there would have been a ripple effect with that. I believe it was Gabby Gifford's organization that put out a statement saying that it was a win because it didn't compromise the effort for gun control or something like that. It was the most convoluted thing I'd ever heard. Like, yeah, this is a win for us because mm-hmm. yeah. it helps us try to ban AR-15. And I was like, what? <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So the split receiver rule to that point, a lot of people believe uh, that it is going to require serial numbers on the upper receiver. However, they've also said that anything produced beforehand that doesn't have it is grandfathered in. Mm-hmm. But how would you know that? Because there's no serial number on it, so you're not going to know a production date. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's like the same thing with magazines. When, right. you know, here in Colorado, when they decided to do the high capacity magazine ban and your magazine can't exceed 15 rounds. But if you owned it previously, you were grandfathered into owning it. But like the magazines aren't serialized. And right. and even now, I mean, so at first, like people were like cautious. They take the magazines apart, sell them as kits. And now, I mean, you could walk into just about any gun store in Colorado and you could buy a 30 round magazine. Like that's how relaxed the laws become, because it's just not enforceable. And law enforcement, you know, they know that. But it's another one of those laws where. They come up with these things that like sound so great in theory, but like, how the hell are you supposed to enforce it? And at least they did grandfathered into allowing these people to keep what they have and not now have to go out and like seek serial numbers for the ARs and the 80% handguns and stuff that they owned that they turned into guns. And I mean, can you imagine how long that would take? It would be insane. I was thinking the same thing. How much would that cost to do my whole, like everything I have? It would uh, be a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and then additionally, they they added a rule that I think is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I think it has the potential for a lot of political prosecution uh, as it pertains rather to silencers. So previously they had, you know, their standard legal definition of a silencer. And now they've added to that supposedly saying that silencers have a frame and that the frame itself is what needs to be marked. And essentially they outline the frame as the outer part of the silencer. Basically, the case that encloses all the baffles. Baffles, exactly. Yep. So what that does then is it makes everything a silencer because I yeah. mean, a pipe's a Any silencer. Two. Right. A pipe's a silencer. Everything, right? So it's how would they enforce that? I have no idea. And it'll be interesting to see. That's weird, that. too, especially like, let's say the suppressors that you can take apart and you can right. minimize them and then add it, you know. Exactly. So is each part now an individual silencer? Yeah. Cause it's modular. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah, it's a nut roll. And then, you know, on my channel, I have a video where I, cause I actually have a mil spec, uh, DB meter, uh-huh. sound meter, and I test, you know, oil filters on there and they work like, especially on 22s and nine mils, they, they absolutely cut down the sound. And so like, you know, are those silencers now because they have an outer tube? Yeah. It's, it's a slippery slope. For and sure. then where you got that stuff, like let's say the Home Depot, now suddenly are they in the gun industry? Exactly. <laughs> you know? It's crazy. Huh. Interesting. Wow. I didn't even like think about that. And then also, they're also kind of changing the definitions on what a gunsmith is. There's also definitions on what gunsmiths are to require more people to be FFLs. So right. it essentially, me, the way I read it is, 
they're treating a gunsmith as if they are an FFL, which is not necessarily the case. So mm-hmm. in America, not all gunsmiths are FFL. Mm-hmm. So, but according to this piece of opinion letter, right? I don't know what else to call it. Mm-hmm. They're essentially saying that the rules that apply to FFLs also apply to gunsmiths now. So I don't know if that means they have to be FFL or they're just treating them as FFL. But with this rule, like it's the opinion letter, like you said, it's 365 pages, the actual, you know, quote unquote law, which isn't obviously a law that will come from this still hasn't been out. You know? mm-hmm. So, so I have no idea what they're planning on doing, but it doesn't sound logical in any way. Mm-mm. No, not at all. And I also kind of wonder how this is going to affect companies that produce lower and upper receivers just the amount of extra work and time that they're going to have to put in to now producing this. Absolutely. And, I mean, it, and when well, is this all supposed to go into effect? They said 120 days from the publication. So that's, that's or, like so ridiculous. It said or sooner. So who knows? <laughs> Unfortunately. Huh. And then also what was kind of funny, and there were some pretty funny memes and videos that came out of it, but when uh, President Biden, you know, he was just like, yeah, and 80 percent guns. I mean, they're super easy to make. And he holds up like the parts of the P80. And and I mean, I was like laughing because putting together a P80, a complete, you know, P80 mm-hmm. is fairly easy. But I wouldn't say that it's like, you know, a kid could do it. It's it definitely I takes would- some time. And then I've had some issues where I've put together P80s and I'm like, okay, this thing doesn't work. I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know if the parts are, you know, just slightly off or if it was mm-hmm. me. And it could be definitely frustrating. But I mean, I definitely couldn't imagine Biden being able to figure out by himself, like how to no. put together a gun. There's no way. There's no. no way he could do it. I mean, he tried to shake the hand of air yesterday. Yeah. There's no way. There's yeah. no way he could together a <laughs> I know. Yeah. I don't know. And then also another thing that they said was, you know, like since I think it was like 2016, there's been all these cases of, you know, quote unquote, ghost guns recovered from crimes. But that's kind of a big lie because like one, the crime in question might not be a violent one. I mean, it literally could just be that, you know, there was a gun recovered from a vehicle or the home of like where, you know, this took place. Second is that they're including all quote unquote unserialized guns. Which right. the bulk of stolen guns, obviously, you know, I mean, I was going to say, obviously, when you steal a gun, but we don't steal guns. But, you know, <laughs> when guns are stolen, they usually, you know, like scrape off the serial number. Right. So they're counting those. They yeah, numbers. exactly. And I mean, that's like, if anything, I guarantee that's what they're uncovering. I would almost bet money that like maybe five actual 80 percent guns that have been turned into actual firearms have been uncovered, like in a crime. And if that. Agreed. I mean, think about it, right? So just you're a criminal, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't go buy a gun. Are you going to spend the time, money and effort, like you said, to put something together that may or may not work, right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. have to, you know, file different pieces to get it to cycle and all of this. Or are you just going to go, you know, bash a door in of a car with an NRA sticker on it and steal their gun? Exactly. Right? You're going to steal their gun. And like then just, gonna... you know, scrape off the serial number and done deal. Exactly. And most criminals think that that works, you know, that's their perception. Yeah. Of course, reality is different. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's so frustrating. I mean, 
I'm sure everybody gets it at this point. Anybody who's into politics and, you know, follows closely with politics, like a lot of these proposed rule changes and laws that are made. I mean, it's just frustrating because it's like, what's the point? And at the end of the day, it just hurts law abiding citizens. Like we are the people that follow the laws like idiots. And it's just, you know, making things more difficult for people that this entire time have been following the laws. So I was actually surprised the New York Times the day after uh-huh. uh, President Biden made that speech actually said the same thing. Like Interesting. The New York Times said that. Wow. Said it's going to do nothing to stop crime. I think they were saying it in an effort to pressure him to do more. But still, the fact that even they said that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it really is. I'm taking another quick break to talk about IWI. The Galil Ace. Do you have the Galil Ace? I do. You do? Do you have the, the Gen 1 or the Gen 2? I have both in 545 by 39. <sighs> Seriously? Why do you always have to one-up me? <laughs> You're like, oh, I have the 249. Hmm, no big deal. And then I'm like, oh, I have the Galil. And you're like, cool, I got both. <laughs> That's great. That's really awesome. Well, you know, I mean, I feel like you've been in the gun industry longer than I have. So we'll just blame it on that. But my collection is definitely growing. Okay. I mean, I have a better collection than like pretty much all the guys that I know. I believe it. So, <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, I love it. I just actually put on a few upgraded parts. So I really didn't love the brace on it. I mean, I love SB Tactical braces and I love what they do, but it just, I don't know. I was like, yeah, it could look a little bit like more refined and sleek. So I turned it into an SBR legally and put uh, the stock from JMAT Customs on it, which, man, they make some really nice stuff. They do. I mean, I it just... So even just like moving, so, you know, okay, you know, like when you put like a foldable uh, bracer stock on your gun and it needs to be like worked in a little bit because it's just like, oh, it's it's pretty hard to maneuver until it like really gets broken in. Their stuff like moves like flawlessly. And then it's almost like it's just like lubricated, just nice and, you know, like lubricated and polished where it just everything kind of just runs like seamlessly. And the lockup is super solid, too. Yeah. Yeah, like it's just, I don't know, I really like their stuff. But I did just get some wooden parts from, uh, of course, I'm going to forget the company's name. I'll tag them when this comes out. They make, in fact, I tagged them when you were looking for, you know, who made like wooden accessories for, I think it was like an MP5. Yeah. Yeah, so cool. But he makes some really nice stuff. So I put some like panels on the side. I put a cheek riser. It's all wood. And I went for like sort of like a brown, but it almost looks like it kind of is like shimmery. So I just put that on it. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. That aside, just really love my Galil. And then I'm also taking a class in, when is it? I think it's in, maybe it's July or August. I'm going to uh, Minnesota and uh, Josh Frolic. He's a professional shooter. He's also sponsored by Federal, and he's putting on a class where he's just teaching people how to, I mean, it's like an advanced class, but you're using the Galil Ace. And nice. and so I'll be doing that because it's kind of weird, like really for the most part when we train, we mostly train with like ARs and, and pistols. At least that's what I do anyways. But when it comes to like AKs or the Galil, which is very similar to an AK, I mean, I definitely could use some work, so I'm excited to do that. 
But yeah, I would say if you guys are looking for just like a refined like AK that just runs flawlessly and I don't know, I love it. I would definitely yeah, say a- check it out. Which one do you like better, the the Gen 1 or the Gen 2? Gen 1. Do you really? Sure. Yeah, it's not even close. Oh, and of course I have the Gen 2. <laughs> I think it's because it's more AK-like, if you will, and I'm just more used to that. Yeah. That can be why. That makes sense. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know if the Gen 1 is still available, of course. You know, so Mike would say the Gen 1, but... I think they are. Are they? they are. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, then I got to hit up my source at IWN and I'll be like, well, Mike has one and I need one. <laughs> I'm actually working on a Tavor right now. That's what I need next. So, which I'm sure you have a Tavor, right? I have the original Tavor. I do not have the X95. Okay. Well, hmm, maybe I'll finally have a gun that you don't have. <laughs> but got goals. Yeah. But anyways, guys, if you want to check out any of the guns at IWI, head on over to IWI.us. Remember to use the code GUNFUNNY15, all one word. That's going to get you 15% off all of their accessories online, which they have some pretty cool accessories. They had like ALG triggers like a few weeks ago. They have some stuff that's also pretty hard to find. So definitely check out their accessories category. All right, let's see. So going back to ghost guns, oh, I'm trying to think what else have we not covered that they... I mean, honestly, I think we covered most of it. It's just when I read the initial statement, I thought it was going to be much worse than it was. Yeah, I think, yeah. When I dug into the 365 page document, but again, the final quote unquote rules are not out yet. Like they say in the document that that document itself is the final rule. Mm-hmm. But then it says that more is coming out in 120 days or less or something like that. So, hmm. so yeah, I don't know. And, you know, I talked to folks at GOA and FPC and basically they've come away with the same takeaway that they don't know if that quote unquote final rule is the final rule. Yeah. Because with the ATF, they're always moving the goalposts. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if they're just kind of testing the waters to see how people I, react to this. And then very likely. Yeah. And that way, you know, Democrats can go out there and claim that they helped stop ghost guns during the midterms right yeah so i guess we'll just kind of hang tight and see what else but in the meantime i would definitely say you know guys contact your senators let them know that you oppose if nothing else like the new atf director he's super anti-gun and then maybe just say that you know you don't approve of atf's overreach i mean regardless of what they're doing whether they're being a little bit more relaxed or not they're still changing definitions without going through the whole process of actually changing laws and stuff so really what they're doing is you know it's illegal it's overreach don't just be like okay cool we kind of got out you know kind of okay like a little slap on the hand at the end of the day still you guys need to speak up you know react and do your part and you know kind of stand your ground because i don't know it's it's really weird to see like the dynamics of things shifting because like right now is it 25 states now that are constitutional carriers only 24 yeah. 25 as of this week okay yep. so that's huge i would have never thought that that would have happened especially in 2022 uh i don't know it's been moving that way for a while so i don't think it's shocking per se but yeah it's uh i i would say if you told me that 20 years ago i would have said there's no way but uh, definitely in the last four or five years, the momentum's been moving that way. But it just seems like there's more than ever, there's more and more people that are anti-gun, especially politicians. Although they did say, I don't even remember where I'm getting my sources from, but I had heard that as far as like the public goes, the general public, that they're not as concerned with gun right. 
politics and stuff like that. And maybe because of 2020, where there was a lot of people that were anti-gun that were buying guns and, you know, <laughs> opening their eyes to the reality of things. Yep. But I, um, I'm sure that contributed. Yeah. So I don't know. It's definitely kind of a weird time. So I just want to bring up a story on that because you're talking about uh, constitutional carry. So okay. uh, I live in the Florida during the winters and a gentleman bought a house near ours and I was talking to him one day and uh, he is a, I guess I might give away who he is by saying this, but so he was a cabinet member for President Bush mm-hmm. and he's from Texas. Anyway, so he was talking about crime in Dallas and stuff like that and how bad it had gotten and then he said, and yeah, and then they passed constitutional carry. What were they thinking? And I was like, because the guy's probably a Republican, right? I would think mm-hmm. he made that statement. And I kind of looked at him like he was crazy. And I was like, and obviously he's very into politics, right? So I was like, I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, now anybody can just carry a gun. I was like, I know. You're like, it's cool, right? <laughs> I was like, and then I said to him, and I think he had never thought about it. Truly, I was like, do you think the previous laws prevented criminals from carrying guns? And he was like, well, no. And I was like, so all it does is allow for law-abiding people to do so with less hassle, and it's not a tax on a right. Mm-hmm. He, goes, and he goes, yeah, that's true. That's a fair point. And I was like, the fact that he had never thought of, mm-hmm. had that thought before in his life and worked in politics, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, who are these people? Yeah. You know? Actually, but, I do hear that pretty often. Even people that are pro-gunners, like, well, that's kind of yeah. scary because, and in a way, I can slightly see their point as an instructor because, you know, so many people come through my classroom and immediately before even knowing anything about guns, I'm like, okay, does anybody have a gun in their class? And they pull it out, pointing it at me, finger on the trigger, you know, I yep. mean, uh, and so it's tough because I'm like, well, I feel like people should take a safety class or if nothing else, they should teach us in schools, like bring it back and teach people just the very basic safety fundamentals. I mean, they could literally spend an hour on it. And I feel like that would still be much better than, you know, what a lot of people, the lack of education that people are receiving. But yeah, there's a lot of people that say that actually. So I'm going to share a story and I was going to totally like remain quiet about this because I was like, what did I just do? But (laughs) The other day, and hopefully I don't get a bunch of hate for this, but the other day, some guy contacted me a few weeks ago and he wanted to come in and take a private class, him and another gentleman, and they needed to learn how to unload a bunch of various different types of guns, revolvers, semi-autos, rifles, shotguns, you know, all of that. And he was like, yeah, it's for a job. And I was just like, okay. And I was thinking like maybe he was in security or something. And I was just like, okay, whatever. And so I teach him the class. They were totally kind of weird. And I usually do talk politics in my classes because like I just kind of can't help it. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people frown upon it, but I'm just very outspoken. And, you know, and I I don't know, I think it's just a good opportunity to maybe like possibly not change minds, but open people up to another area that maybe they haven't thought of. Anyways, after I was done teaching the class, they disclosed that they actually work for a nonprofit buyback program. Mm. And that's why they needed to learn how to unload all of these guns because people bring in these guns and they need to make sure that they're unloaded and then they destroy them on the spot. And they were like, don't hate us. No, we're not the enemy. Uh," And they were all like kind of uptight to like, tell me this. And then of course here I'm thinking, cool, I just trained the enemy. Exactly. But But no, I totally didn't know until the end of class. But they said that Really, a lot of the guns that they get are people who, let's say the gun was used in a suicide or people that are suicidal 
And they're just like, look, I'm having suicidal thoughts. I just don't know what to do with this gun. It's not a good idea for me to have in my house here. Just take it. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, you know, and can you imagine like I had a friend, one of my really good friends, her husband committed suicide last year and in their truck. And when she went to go pick up everything, they also gave her the gun back. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, what do you do with that gun? So uh, a a friend of mine killed himself with a gun too. And his wife uh, reached out to me and, asked if I could take it. But like, other than that, like if you don't know anybody in the industry or I don't know, it's hard to say, you know, you can bring it into any local gun shop. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I'm like, if anything, I mean, one, I actually, I was also kind of thinking after they left, I'm like, I wonder how they advertise these events because I really never see too many events like advertised where it's like, Hey, we're doing a gun buyback program. And then they were telling me, and then this is where it like hurt. And I started cringing. I was like, all right, just get the hell out. But they were saying uh, (laughs) they had like some guy bring in a gold plated Tommy gun. Uh, And they said it was like super sketch because he had it under a blanket and he was like walking up to the table. (laughs) (laughs) And really, if you think about it, I'm sure there's people that are probably like, man, screw you guys. You know, I mean, how do you know? Um, And then they see a lot of older guns that. I mean, if nothing else, I'm like, man, that's history. Like, why don't you guys donate it to a museum or something? But they said because they're not an FFL that they can't take it, but or at least have somebody there that could because they were like, well, essentially, if somebody's deciding to give up their gun, like they can't talk them out of it. But I right. still feel like there should be somebody there that's like, hey, I understand you don't want this gun, but this gun is like 300 years old. It would be a great addition to the Cody Firearms Museum. Sure. And if you want, we'll send it there. So a couple of thoughts on that. Number one, there is an organization it's called Hold My Guns. Uh-huh. So if you're suicidal or you know somebody who's suicidal, they will, you know, secure your gun until whatever type of mental health crisis you're having is over. Mm-hmm. Um, so they will do that. It's a service they offer for free and it's in every state. Um, so that's just something to throw out there for anybody who's listening or knows somebody who's in that situation. That way you don't have to destroy your gun if you're afraid of it yeah. for whatever reason. Absolutely. Um, and then additionally, there was a uh, gun buyback program by a sheriff's office in Durham, North Carolina, a couple weeks ago. And uh, the news, it was funny, the local news there was trying to cover it. And you could clearly in the background see a sign of a guy with a sign that said, like, I pay more than they do. Come to me first. You know? <laughs> <laughs> trying to buy the guns. Right? The news didn't cover that aspect at all, but you could see it. So that I, is I knew somebody amazing. was something trying to do it. So. Yeah. I I honestly thought about doing that. I was like, cause they I, were telling me that they saw all these other things, like all these cool guns. And I'm like, uh, and it just like that hurt. And they said the most that they give is $250. Right. And, exactly. and so like the AR that I brought, cause I had just gotten, it was like this F1 firearms gun. And it's all mm-hmm. like, you know, Cerakoted and beautiful. Like I almost don't even want to shoot it. Cause I'm like, oh, it's going to get so gross after. <laughs> right. And they were like, yeah, they're like a gun like that. We would give you 254. Yep. And I'm like, oh, God, like, that's it, you know? Yeah. So I remember like, a couple of years ago, somebody turned in a Sturmgewehr at one of the local ones, uh, like an actual Sturm, like World War II bring back. Wow. They gave him like 200 bucks. That's so, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just, and then I kind of feel like organizations like that, like if they did have somebody like an FFL or even like a pawn shop or something, think about the money that they could use by selling those guns and then they could put it into, let's say like a charity for mental health or something. Right. The problem with that is the people that fund those organizations are anti-gun. Exactly. They want to destroy guns. That's what they want. I know. Even if the people doing it might not. The people who fund it do. I know. 
I know. It's just, it's like such a shame. It's just, and I I, yeah, I just feel like they could, I mean, if they really wanted to make a difference, they could, you know, I mean, even if you sold it for like half or a fraction of what it's worth, which is going to be way more than $250, then if they put that into some sort of, you know, like something that's actually going to help the cause, like same thing with all the, you know, they're trying to like crack down on gun violence, but nobody's like addressing like mental health concerns or like, why do people, you know, especially like, I hate to say it, but like now a lot of these shooters, they're all younger males, like in their early twenties. Like why is nobody really doing anything or addressing that? And the vast majority of them don't have fathers. Yeah. So it's like, we're really not like, let's really focus on the problem. If we want to make a difference, it's not the tool that they're using. No. As we saw in Wisconsin with that guy that drove through the parade, mm-hmm. he, killed, he killed a lot more people than the guy in Brooklyn recently with a gun. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's the intent to kill that is the, obviously the issue, not the tool being used. Or the laws. I mean, obviously this Correct. guy was in Brooklyn. Correct. You know, so yeah, it's just, it's super frustrating, but, um, but anyways, guys, so don't hate me for doing that. I literally did not know. Luckily it was just two people. It wasn't right. like I trained like 50 people, but right. But yeah, so that happened. I swear, being a firearms instructor, I've seen and heard of more things than I think most people, than any um, YouTuber out there. I mean, you, and then you also get the people that are court ordered to take your class that like, I mean, right. there's been some people where I'm like, I don't even want to give you the certificate. I have turned people away where I'm like, sorry. I mean, there's these people that will show up in a class. They don't give a shit about learning, you know, anything about like firearm safety. They're just there because, like I said, they're court ordered. They're probably not going to get a gun because usually once you break a lot of these laws where you're court ordered, typically, you know, it's a crime that you'll never be able to have a gun. But they'll just sit there on their phone, not listen, not participate. And I'm just like, yeah, sorry, I'm not giving you a certificate like you're not. Right. And yeah. And then, of course, that usually ends up in, you know, a bunch of drama. But it is what it is. No, I think uh, being a firearms instructor, there's a lot of value in that. Like you said, you hear more stories than YouTubers. What I always say on my channel is that typically nine times out of ten, if I review a product, it's a sample size of one. Whereas guys, well, I mean, you as well, but but whereas somebody like you or uh, Aaron Cowan or John Lovell, the, the YouTubers who also are instructors, mm-hmm. they have a much better understanding of what works and what doesn't work in yeah. terms of firearms and accessories because you see them over and over and over again mm-hmm. and you see a bunch of them, whereas I don't yeah. as an individual person. So I think in many ways in terms of like what guns work and what guns don't work, you have a much better perspective on that than yeah. I do. Yeah. You know what I was thinking in my lifetime at some point, it'd be kind of nice to be a consultant for firearms that come yeah. out just to have like a female perspective. And even though I've been now shooting long enough where I wouldn't say I'm a beginner at all. And I kind of lose sight of that, like what it is to be a beginner, but I do still see it all the time. And like what people struggle with and like what changes they'll say that they wish were made, you know? And I mean, cause I yeah. think once you've been shooting long enough, you just kind of adapt or you change things or, you know, sure. And we all have our own bias. Like, yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, I, I for example, have huge hands. And I'm six feet tall. And so certain things I like and work, that work for me can be a deal breaker if I hand it to my wife who's tiny. And like a good channel, like 
you guys aren't watching it to see this in action is the honest outlaw. Chris is huge. Chris is, I don't know how, how tall you think he is. Six, 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 seven. Yeah, probably. He's tall. Mm-hmm. He's a big boy. And his wife is tiny. And so sometimes she'll jump on there and shoot the guns too. And you can see like, sometimes she can't hit the mag release. She can't do yeah. this. She, and whereas him with it, you know, being six, seven, those things aren't an issue at all. Or like he had a bullpup on that she couldn't reach the trigger on. It was, I mean, it's just things that you don't think of because we all have our own internal bias based on our experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, even racking the slide, most men can't understand. They can't grasp that. Like, why can't you? I could literally do it with one finger. Right. But it's just something that women, you know, struggle with. I mean, usually it's women, but it could be sometimes men. Right. Okay. So wrapping it up. So do you have any future plans that you can share with us that you have in the works other than working on your 249, which I'm still (laughs) jealous of? Did you see my comment too? I was like, I was like, really? Did you? I did. I did. I didn't know. I didn't know the context of it though. Oh. At the time. Yes, I did see it. Uh, um, I was like, I think I was just getting, I was so mad. I was like, the minute I decide that I want to buy this gun, then I see it all over the internet. Not to say like the 249 is new by any means. I mean, it's been around forever, but it was just like now suddenly everyone's posting with one, everyone and their mom, except for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. One thing I'll tell you about it, just talking about it, having one in now that's new, I've, I've never handled a new 249 before and they've always been just pieces of crap in my experience uh i i hate the 249 in the military use yeah but i'll be, I'll be interested interested rather to see if when i convert it if it actually works yeah i well, know you know so we, we'll see but uh future plans uh going to the nra show that's the that's the closest one that i can think of out in houston and i'll be at the range day for primary arms too the day before i don't know if you're headed to that but i am i will be there and other than that, just shooting guns and talking to a camera like the crazy person. That's yeah, what I do. I know. <laughs> so I think that's another thing that people don't realize unless you have a cameraman, which I don't I no longer have a cameraman because he's in no, Denver. I, it's so I, hard I, to meet up and you don't have a cameraman. So it's like you no. kind of just feel like you're slightly mental when you're yes. sitting there with a camera <laughs> and it sucks. I personally hate recording content by myself, especially if it's like funny content or I'm trying to be funny. But it, you really need like that extra person to kind of feed off of. Otherwise, you're just sitting there laughing or trying to do stupid things by yourself. And then you're sitting there talking to the camera. And and I, I, I've i concluded that like certain amount of like YouTubers, like you have to be a, a certain level of mental. <laughs> it's true. I agree with that. It really is like it's. So what's weird is if you watch my earlier videos, you can tell I'm uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Right? And, and now you're just like, oh, hey, I think what's up, Mike? It. Missed right. me and you. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, that's that's a weird mental shift. I, I think know. nothing of a camera being in my face. And like when you're at like industry events, people will be like eating breakfast, right? Like yeah. in your room. Yeah. And somebody will bust in with like who has like a million subscribers. So like bust into your room and you're like in your shorts, you know, or whatever, eating breakfast. And they're like, Hey, Nick got a camera on you. And like, yeah. I don't even react to that anymore. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. I know. You definitely get used to it. And it's probably not a good thing. I know it's weird. I mean, it is nice for me to get used to it. Like with the camera going, I think I just care less also now with my YouTube videos. I'm just like, whatever, this is what it is. All right. This is, this <laughs> yeah. is it. I just have yeah. that like no fucks given attitude. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I don't know if that's good or not, but yeah, I've noticed that as well. All right. And then can you just remind listeners where they can find you if they want to follow you on Instagram or your YouTube channel and all that good stuff? Sure. 
So uh, on pretty much everything besides Instagram, it's Mr. Guns and Gear and spelled M-R-G-U-N-S-N, like November, not and, N, year. And the exception to that is going to be Instagram because I'm on my fourth account now and it is Mr. Guns and Gear channel on Instagram. Okay, perfect. All right, moving forward, Caldwell. And actually, you have some experience with Caldwell because we did go to an event together where we were shooting at their steel. Yep. Any other experiences with their stuff? Yeah, um, I like their, they have these uh, rechargeable Bluetooth hearing protection. I actually Is wear it- them. All, all the time. Do you have the new ones, the Emacs? I do. Okay. Because yes. the ones at the event that they gave us, I didn't really love them. Me either. But their new ones, the Emacs, so I've actually worn them indoors, which is pretty ballsy because typically you kind of have to, I mean, you just, you have to wear the earmuffs if you're mm-hmm. indoors, but um, I've been really happy with them. Yeah, I have too. And one thing I really like about them, I'm sure this is not the marketing angle they want, but <laughs> one thing I really like about them is if you're exercising, you still have situational awareness. Whereas like other in-ear, you know, music players or whatever the case you want to call them, mm-hmm. um, it blocks everything out, whereas yeah. that's not the case. So I definitely like that feature of it as well. Of course, on the range, yeah, it's valuable for hearing commands and things like that. But even working out, there's cars around and things like that. You actually hear them. Yeah. So, no, I actually, I like that too. And I've talked to, again, I've talked to my students because I'm like, I don't understand people who just have their, you know, their, their headset on, they're listening to music, no situational awareness. And it's usually when you go hiking, you're in the middle of nowhere that right. these guys like, especially seek out these women. And so for me, one, I typically don't go on hikes by myself. In fact, I don't think I ever have just because I don't know, it just kind of freaks me out. And I sure as hell, if I was alone, I sure as hell would not have a headset on because I need to know exactly like, even if I hear like, let's say a a bear or, you know, a mountain lion or something. Right. Yeah, I agree. That's actually, I do like that about them as well. And so if you guys want to check out any of their stuff, their steel, their steel targets, any of that stuff, you can use the code gunfunny10. That's going to get you, it's all one word. You can get 10% off your entire order. And that is at coldwellshooting.com. Today in politics, even though we just discussed politics. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's political AF. There's evidence surfacing the ATF lied to Congress. Multiple congressional reps have in the past inquired with the ATF how long it takes ATF to process determination letters on new products submitted by the industry due to extreme delays experienced by their constituents. The ATF has stated in multiple response letters that they have a 90-day turnaround in issuing determination letters. Evidence obtained through Freedom of Information Act requests have revealed that's not true and isn't even a goal of the ATF. An uncovered presentation from Firearms and Ammunition Technology Division, we'll just call them FATD, in 2021 listed six to nine months for industry evaluations. However, looking at the results released from other evaluations, it appears to be consistently much longer than that on average. The ATF also states that they work on first-in, first-out basis for evaluations, but a definite pattern is clear from the past 15 months of submissions. Also, all of the outstanding determination letters are either for stabilizing braces or unfinished frames or receivers. Since those are a small fraction of the products FADT evaluates, 
there should be relatively few of those and a lot more of other products in the list of incomplete reviews. That clearly isn't the case. ATF is clearly delaying products they don't like and are trying to ban with changing the rules. JSD Supply, for example, has submitted multiple products at the same time of unfinished frames or receivers. The products that are very difficult to complete get approved much faster, while ones that are simple to complete are delayed. Yeah, so something to add on that is going to be a friend of mine is an importer and he runs a company that you would know their name if I said it, but uh, so he does a lot of importation of different firearms from around the world. Mm -hmm. And what they essentially they had a guy they were working with in Poland who was trying to get um, Poland has a couple different AK companies. And at the time it was one that wasn't being imported and they were submitting their samples to ATF fat D for evaluation. And essentially for years, it was like two or three years, ATF just wouldn't give them a determination. And then all of a sudden, uh, that guy started working with a lobbyist group that and paying them, obviously, a lobbyist group that was former ATF agents. And then now, all of a sudden, the importation got approved. It, it, it happened in like two weeks after he started paying the lobbyists. So wow. that's just another, another uh, angle to it. That's just absurd. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I'm like, how is this even happening? Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. And it's just because they, they don't have to answer to anyone. You know, mm -hmm. they're unelected bureaucrats. We say that all the time, but it's true. And it means something, you know, they really don't answer to anyone. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. All right. Manicore arms. If you've got the Yugo M85 or the M92, definitely check out the Renegade handguard. The new updated version has textured grooves for a better grip, two rows of M-lock slots on each side, plus one on the bottom for mounting all of your accessories. They're made from a high-temperature thermoset polymer. There are also several mounting plate top covers available for popular optics. They come in black, Magpul Plum, Bakelite Orange, and to match those bait-like mags if you have them, if you're lucky enough to have them. I don't have any. You probably have them. Uh, Mike, tons. just shut up. Okay, just shut <laughs> up. <laughs> uh, they're only $44.95, but when you use the code AVAROCKS15, that's all one word, you're going to get 15% off, and that is anything at manicorearms.com. Today's Q&A. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Somebody asked, are you going to NRA annual meetings? And as you said previously, you are, I am. I actually had mixed feelings and I was curious, like, I don't know. I was thinking, I'm like, I wonder how the turnout is going to be, because essentially this is going to be the first public event since COVID. Yep. So I wonder if it's going to be busy. But then again, with, you know, all of the backlash that we've seen with the NRA in the last like, what, three or four years, yeah. it'll be interesting to see, you know, if people even want to attend. And I think it's a Memorial Day weekend, isn't it? Yeah, which they did last year, too, which, you That's know, great. I mean, it didn't happen last year. They canceled last yeah. minute. But that's also I mean, it's kind of crappy. Cause it doesn't it even, is. it's not on Monday. So it's like, right. why, why did you guys have to pick that weekend? A lot of people were upset about that as well. So, and additionally, what, what's going to be interesting for me, um, is so in the past, uh, Ackerman McQueen is the ones that actually put on the NRA show. It's not the NRA, but of course they've had their legal divorce 
uh, about what two years ago now at this point. So this will be the first event that NRA is actually putting on themselves. So I'll be interested to see how that goes because hmm. I'd imagine putting on huge events is not an easy task if you don't have experience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we shall see. So it could be a total disaster. So in that case, we're going to get front row seats and we're going to grab some popcorn. No. <laughs> For sure. No, I, I am. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. And then additionally, you know, uh, the the board and uh, folks who are trying to run for the board. In the past couple of times, they've actually had their votes at the NRA meetings. Basically, people have been shut out, like, mm-hmm. like physically forced out of the room meetings uh, for votes. So this time, I think the people who are who are likely to be forced out are going to be recording. So we could see some interesting uh, fireworks there, hmm. sort of like an industry insider thing, but mm-hmm. uh, it could get interesting. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. Because right now with everything that's come out about Wayne and his corruption yeah. and very likely crimes that he's committed, obviously he hasn't been convicted yet, but yeah, it's pretty overwhelming evidence in many cases. Uh, I think there's going to be some angry board members. Yeah. I think we'll see, but I mean, a lot of them are Wayne's lap dogs, but yeah, a lot of them are. Uh huh. Exactly. I know. I mean, there's still those people that are in there trying to fight the good fight, like changing the NRA because it would be best if they did just get rid of Wayne and got rid of the corruption internally, you know, because of the reach that they have. But I mean, it's been how many years now and nothing's really changed. Unfortunately, I, I think the only way he goes out is if he goes out in handcuffs. Yeah. Because I, because I think he knows the corruption is much worse than anything that's been exposed. Yeah. And the only way it'll get exposed is, is if, if he leaves. There. Yeah. That makes right. sense. Yeah. Well, I'm going, I haven't decided if I'm going to stay. Well, I guess so. I get there Wednesday. There's a range day Thursday uh, for people in the industry. And then it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I think I made my hotel until Sunday and then I'd leave probably that night or something. But I don't know. It's I have a lot going on in May, actually. So I have a long distance shooting class that I'm supposed to take. And then I fly back home the next day. Federal is actually flying out here to record a bunch of footage with me for two days. But this is kind of the funny thing. And most people would be like, oh, you're lucky. Why are you complaining about this? So they sent me like an entire palette of ammo just to shoot for these two days. And I'm like, uh, how much how much are we going to be shooting? Like, right. we're not shooting full auto here. <laughs> So I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm going to be sore by the end of this, I guess. Just from loading magazines. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. I'm like, all right, what are they like? I mean, I have a few topics that I'm going to be talking about, but I'm like, we needed this much ammo. It'll be kind of interesting to see how that goes. (laughs) But yeah, so May is just, I think I'm actually going to be away more than I'll be home in May. And then I'll come back and I'll be like, oh, my gosh, Peaches, you turned into a pit bull. I was right. You were a baby pit bull this whole time because she eats so much and she's already like tripled in size. So she's like almost the size of a newborn puppy. over. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm still I'm thinking I'm like the people that sold me her like legit lied to me. They were like, yeah, she's a teacup chihuahua. And I'm like, she's probably already like three pounds, maybe three and a half. She was two and a half when I took her to the vet. I have to take her again this week. So I'm like, I guarantee she's probably gained another pound. And I'm like, if we're going to keep going this route and she eats so much, I've never seen small dogs just, you know, eat their food right away. Like most big dogs, you have to like measure it. And, you know, with tickles, she I would just keep her bowl full all the time. She'd like graze whenever she was hungry, she would eat. 
Peach is like a little freaking pig. I'll put the food in her bowl. I mean, two seconds later, she's done. And then she wants more. And yeah. But then I also don't want her to like starve. So then I give in and I feed her more. (laughs) And yeah. Yeah. I mean, as long as she's not overweight, that's what I figured. And I'm like, she's technically a growing puppy. But yeah, I mean, do I feed her six times a day? Maybe. (laughs) Am I going to be, you know, one of those parents that like have like one of those like I don't know. This is actually really mean, but my sister, so she's like super skinny now. She's like almost sickly looking, but in high school, she ended up gaining a lot of weight. And my mom, I was always skinny. I never had like any issues like gaining weight, but my mom should be like, okay, well, we can't buy any more junk food. You know, we have to just like start keeping more healthy food at the house, which in a way is like kind of mean, but also, I mean, as a parent, like, I feel like it is kind of your job to make sure that your kids are healthy. And if they get kind of overweight, then like, okay, we're not buying Oreos. But then I I just remember being kind of a brat about it. And I was like, why do I have to suffer? Because she's getting fat. (laughs) (laughs) So then I'd like, yeah, I was like such a brat. So then I'd like hide like Oreos in my room. And to this day, it probably wouldn't have hurt if I laid off the Oreos, but whatever. Oh, gosh, I just can't. I can't keep it in my house. Otherwise, I just keep eating it agreed and we had family in for like two or three months in a row this year and they just kept buying that stuff and i was like i put on like seven pounds in three months that's yeah Yeah. well i you know because i had surgery and so i wasn't able to do anything so i was just sitting around eating my feelings and -hmm. now the last two weeks i'm like all right hit it hard i've been going to bar classes and stuff oh and then this is funny so i bought these like lemon covered they're like it's like white chocolate but it's called lemoncello almonds from costco like this huge bag and of course i can't just have like five of them i'm just like repeatedly just like eating like munching them and then i noticed it was turning my pee like bright yellow like abnormally bright yellow and i was like oh my god and then i told my friend who was with me when i bought them i was like have you eaten a lot of these almonds because i think i eat too much and it's totally turning my pee like neon yellow and she's like, no, I've only had a few. And I was like, oh, OK, whatever. Whore, <laughs> of course, must be nice. You only have to have a few. But then her boyfriend messaged me and he's like, yeah. So Laura told me that your pee's neon. He's like, mine, too. And then I Googled it. And it's actually a lot of people are complaining about it. <laughs> so that's where I'm at right now. I just eat yeah. so many that. Yeah, that's good to know. The things you yeah. learn. Yeah. So Indeed. I just don't buy them anymore. That's wise. That's yeah. what I have to do as well. Yeah, I just gotta just gotta be like, you know, disciplined at the grocery store. Agreed. All right, so Tacti Talk. Tacti Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. Rugger and Thomet, which is essentially B and T, which did you know that that's what B and T stand for? Bruger, Bruger and Vomit. Yeah. Vomit, I think, yeah. They just announced a new version of their SPC-9 series. Came from a European contract requesting a 9mm carbine with the same characteristics and ergonomics of the AR platform. B&T combined features from the APC-9, the MP5, and AR in creating the SPC-9, including all the standard AR features plus three lug suppressor attachment, a non-reciprocating charging handle in addition to an AR charging handle, and the standard AR controls. Like 
most B&T products. It comes with a cold hammer forged barrel for accuracy. Controls in it are fully ambidextrous for the bolt catch release, mag catch, and safety selector. The forend has a full length top rail and M slots. One of the coolest features is a unique hydraulic buffer system that makes it one of the lightest recoiling PCCs around. Essentially, it's a shock absorbing buffer inside a normal looking buffer tube. Plus, it's built to take any Glock 9mm bags. Okay, well, that's cool. Even the shortest G26 mags. The newest addition to the series is a 16-inch version that's perfect for PCC competition. Especially with the recoil system, it's said to be incredibly flat shooting and lightweight. Earlier in the year, a 4.5-inch PDW version, an integrally suppressed PDW version, which can we just agree that integrally is like hard to say? Because you said it earlier when you were talking about the Gemtech barrel. Right. And you're like, integrally. Yeah. yeah it's integrally. It's a mouthful. <laughs> and a nine inch standard and integrally suppressed standard version were announced. No word on MSRP yet. I don't know if, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about another PCC though. I feel good about it. Um, Do you? <laughs> more guns are better. And they're being well, true. Them. I know. That's another thing that we were talking about before the show is like, I would love to get my hands on more B&T products, but they yeah. just don't really, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like H&K. Like H&K is like starting to kind of get a little bit more with like the American market. But like for the most part, a lot of these European companies, they're not really concerned with marketing to, I guess, the U.S. market. Well, specifically, they're not interested in the civilian market. Like B&T yeah. has a heavy law enforcement presence in America, especially with their sub guns. That's true. Uh, yeah. Uh, but- in the case of uh, H&K, one thing they have to overcome that B&T doesn't is a lot of really weird German laws about exportation. Mm-hmm. B&T doesn't have that. So I don't I don't know what's holding them back, but they they definitely definitely don't seem to be targeting the American civilian market much if at all. Mm-hmm. It seems to be an afterthought of whatever they bring in for law enforcement. And then if stuff's left over, we'll sell it to the yeah. civilian. Which is unfortunate because uh, they definitely make some really cool stuff. They do. I actually, I was thinking, I didn't even know of their stuff until a few years ago. I think when they, when they went to TriggerCon, I think that was the first time that I saw their stuff. That might've been the same for me, actually. It's, it's definitely been recent and, you know, they have a very long history over in Europe. Yeah. Just haven't been doing much here until lately, like you said. Yeah. Maybe they'll change. I mean, I don't know, but I don't know. So PCC, I'm like, eh, okay. But then again, I feel like I've reached that point where I'm like, unless you come up with something really amazing, I'm just like, meh, okay. I mean, I could take it or leave it. I mean, obviously, I would never say no to this gun. Right. But. Yeah, their buffer system is cool. I know. That one. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I mean, initially, you're like, okay, as far as like recoil and stuff, you're like, it's nine millimeter. But still, even it's weird because a lot of these nine millimeter PCCs, they do have. I mean, there is, you know, like I've all watched myself shoot, like even like the Uzi, the IWI Uzi or any of these like smaller nine millimeter guns, which obviously the Uzi is a pistol. But when you put a brace on it and it does have quite a bit of recoil, like I could see my shoulder move, you know, it's not like shooting a 22 by any means. Right. A lot of them, it's going to depend, but a lot of them do have more actual recoil force than yeah. like a 5.56. Five, yeah. And it's just because of that bolt mass, you know, going back and forth. And that's what they're trying to mitigate with that that buffer system, you know, and CMMG tries to mitigate it with a delayed roller delayed system or mm-hmm. excuse me, a delayed system. You know, the MP5 has the roller delayed. 
uh, ways to get around minimizing the mass of that bolt. But when you have that big chunky blowback bolt, it definitely has some recoil. It's just yeah, it's counterintuitive, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes I, I watch myself like shooting nine millimeters. I'm like, gosh, Ava, like try not to look like such a wuss. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you know what's funny about that? Because, you know, somebody I shoot a lot, so I I do notice that. Uh-huh. But when I have new shooters out to the range or relatively inexperienced shooters, they'll typically say they like shooting the, like an AR9, for example, even with a big bolt in it. They'll typically say they like shooting that more than a 5.56. Yeah. And I don't really know why, because there's definitely more recoil, but for whatever reason, they perceive it to be more. I wonder if because it's smaller and it seems like there's more to like control. Maybe. And I think there's generally less blast as well. Yeah. So like less concussion, if you will. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, Yeah, that could be it. Yeah. All right. GSM Outdoors. I know most of you guys neglect cleaning your guns. Mike, do you neglect cleaning them? Uh, not not my home defense or carry guns, but the other ones, yes. Yeah, I know. There's some guns on my wall that, I mean, literally, there's like some rust starting to appear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not proud of that. And this is the first time I've admitted to it. And so I guess admitting the first part to fixing the problem. Yeah, I, I live on the water in very high humidity areas. Rust is not new here. Yeah. Well, for me, I mean, Colorado's super dry, but, you know, I have all my plants in my humidifier, so <laughs> it's, it's pretty humid in my house. But anyway, so if you guys do decide to not neglect your guns, which, as Mike said, definitely don't neglect the guns that you're using for protection. Those I definitely make sure that I'm keeping them well maintained because the last thing you want to do is have any sort of. Uh, issues, you know, when you're trying to protect yourself. But TechMac, they make some really good cleaning mats that you can use when cleaning your guns. And this, for one, I mean, it keeps all of like the gunk, like the grease and, you know, the oil and gunpowder and stuff like that on that mat as opposed to like on your kitchen table or something. And then you're also less likely to lose parts. So they have all kinds of stuff, ranges anywhere from $13.99. They even have doormats for $39.99. So check that out. Head on over to techmat.com. And remember with all the GSM outdoor brands, if you use the code gunfunny20, it's all one word, you're going to get 20% off. Nice. And so I'm not sponsored by TechMat in any way, but I use them all the time. If you guys out there watch my cleaning lubrication videos, you'll see them front and center. Um, That's what I use. They work very well. Nice. Today in AF. Stupid. Funny. Cool, interesting, awesome, as f- Never mind. AF. Have you heard about Elon Musk buying a large chunk of Twitter stock? It's been kind of all over the internet this last week, I guess. I have indeed, yes. And then being offered a seat on the board of directors. Um, yep. You know, how do you feel about Elon Musk? <laughs> so uh, I think as a general rule, Elon Musk is a force of good in the world right now. Um, There's obviously things I don't agree with him on. Mm -hmm. But in general, what he's trying to do with Twitter is it would be huge. It would make a significant difference in how America will be in five years. Yeah. 
or doesn't, honestly, either way, it's going to make a significant difference. Um, obviously, like I mentioned earlier, my Facebook page got taken down earlier. I'm on my fourth Instagram page. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never violate any of the rules. I'm, I read the, all the rules and follow all of them very strictly because I know there's a target on my back. But every social media platform, the censorship is just insane. And you, yeah. know, you think even YouTube, um, like I, I know people who run social media accounts, mostly of off-roading mm-hmm. uh, type of accounts. And when I look at their back end in terms of analytics, just the throttling you can see on every platform is just crazy of people who agree with the things that we agree with. Mm-hmm. And if you had something that was quote unquote mainstream and didn't have that, I mean, it would make, it would be huge. It, it would be extremely significant, you know, cause now we have the alternative ecosystem of apps and, uh, economy, but they just don't get the traffic that the quote unquote mainstream ones are, you know, like my, my grandparents aren't going to join telegram. It's mm-hmm. just not going to happen. Yeah. But you know, they're on Facebook, you know? Mm-hmm. So I know. Just- well, and it's also unfortunate because anybody who does come up with any alternatives, like look at Trump's like truth social app. Um, yep. I'm pretty sure I still have not gotten, I'm still like number 522,536 or something to I'm in the the 200,000s myself. uh, I'm just like, what is going on? And this was weeks ago. Yeah. You know, wow, it sounds great in theory. Let's create an app and create a whole new platform and stuff. But it's, you know, I don't know. It's just it's unfortunate. And it is unfortunate that like we're silenced or we're banned or shadow banned or any of that stuff because it goes against their beliefs, even though we're not breaking any laws. And yet sure. you have TikTok where there's like half naked 12 year olds or they're telling you to do stupid challenges that actually put your life in danger. Yeah. Interestingly, that's only TikTok in like Western countries. I don't know if you know that. So in like China and Chinese allied countries, if mm-hmm. you will, TikTok is a completely different experience. It's set their algorithm is set up to promote things that are like beneficial for society. So like the people who are like the big TikTok stars in China are like architects and engineers and huh. like uh, tech entrepreneurs. And so they're like not that. they're not like twelve year old dancers. No, they're huh. not things that dumb down society. It's completely different because wow. the Chinese government knows you know yeah. how to improve society versus not. In yeah, degree. Isn't that sad? Like anybody who's like, I was watching TikTok. I just like automatically kind of like lose sort of a little. Like I'm like, how do you waste so much time watching? I've literally probably watched like maybe five TikTok videos in my entire life. And it's because somebody sent it to me and it was somebody that actually valued their opinion. So I watched it. But usually when people send me these stupid TikTok videos, I don't even watch it. I just delete it because I don't have time. And I really do feel like it just like it dumbs you down. Like it does intentionally. So, yeah. So and it's just frustrating to see that people put so much effort into these videos or also another thing that is lately is just like annoying me is when people do these voiceovers and now they're, you know, putting on Instagram and I'm like, can you guys not be original? I have no idea what that is. Like I still look at it and I'm like, what, (laughs) what am I as a viewer? What am I supposed to get out of this? I know. And there's people in the gun industry that are doing it a lot. And it's like so frustrating because I'm like, you guys are supposed to be content creators. Can you not come up with your own content? that you have to steal like a voiceover and act out this thing, which again, I don't know what our viewers are supposed to get out of it. I and I just I think know. it's the dumbest thing ever. I do too. A thousand percent. It's yeah. just, it's, it's terrible. It needs Ugh. to stop. <laughs> I know. 
it just yeah i i don't know maybe i'm just getting too old and like fed up but i just uh-huh. i just think it's just dumb but anyway elon he you know he purchased 9.2 percent of twitter stock and the offer of a board seat would have prevented him from owning more than 14.9% while on the board and for two years after. Such an obvious bid to prevent him from having a controlled share of the stock made a lot of people wonder what real control he could potentially have even with a board seat. Before he turned down the offer, he tweeted a number of questions asking users what changes they would like to see. One question was if users believe that Twitter adhered to policies of free speech, which 70.4% responded no. He even raised the possibility of turning Twitter headquarters into a homeless shelter since it's largely empty because people are still working from home. Musk also has been uh, outspoken about the censorship that's been occurring and the need to correct it. Presumably, this is one of his aims in his acquisitions of Twitter stock. Many were calling for him to reinstate Trump, which a single board member wouldn't be able to do on his own. Musk denied joining the board after clear attempts by Twitter to limit his potential influence. Sunday after he declined, Twitter CEO Parag Agrawal. Good luck with that. He put out a statement saying Elon's appointment to the board was to become officially effective for nine. But Elon shared that same morning that he will no longer be joining the board. I believe this is for the best. We have and will always value input from our shareholders, whether they are on board or not. Elon is our biggest shareholder and will remain open to his input. There will be distractions ahead, but our goals and priorities remain unchanged. The decisions we make and how we execute is in our hands and no one else's. Let's tune out the noise and stay focused on the work and what we're building. That's great. And then Musk tweeted a laughing emoji with a hand over the mouth after the announcement, but then soon deleted it. Thursday, he announced that he was offering to buy the rest of Twitter shares and make the company private. His offer was for more than $43 billion, which was more than the current share price. Twitter board members freaked out and unanimously adopted a poison pill defense to block Musk from taking over if he or someone else obtains more than 15%. Essentially, it allows other shareholders to purchase additional shares at a discount in order to dilute Musk's shares, which will also devalue shares for anyone. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Well, I mean, there's several things that have happened of note. Number one, Vanguard just bought a large share. Just so I, I believe it's more than Elon now. Uh, so I believe Vanguard is now the biggest as of like yesterday. Hmm. And then additionally, that poison pill strategy is uh, possibly illegal uh, simply because uh, the board has a fiduciary responsibility under the SEC rules mm-hmm. uh, to their stockholders. And yeah. they, very likely their actions are going to, like you said, uh, reduce the price of stock, make it more accessible, et cetera. And that is literally the opposite of, of what, what? A would do. Yeah. So they've opened themselves up to very large lawsuits. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. That's hmm. for sure. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't really think about it, but I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used to be a finance guy, like fiduciary responsibility is a very real thing. And yeah. the SEC doesn't, Typically, the SEC typically doesn't uh, take it lightly. That said, the SEC, they're a very politically driven mm-hmm. organization, unfortunately. Um, so they might not be as strict on Twitter as they would be on everybody else. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah. 
The lawsuits are going to come one way or another, though, because there's a lot of shareholders that lost a lot of money because of that. Mm -hmm, Exactly. All right. So now it's time for iTunes reviews. So the only review that I have is from Scooby Doo by Goon titled Great Info, Five Stars, a great interview with Charlie from Franklin Armory. Living in California, I thought I couldn't have an AR pistol until this episode. So thank you for emptying my bank account. Awesome guests. And please, Ava, not Eva, keep the pup. And I will. I'll keep peaches. Although some days, almost every day, it's nice to fantasize what my life would be like without her. But you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to go give her to the Humane Society or anything like that. I'm going to keep her. All right, guys, so you can find me at gunfunny.com. Think about becoming a Patreon if you guys like the show and you want to support it. You could do a one-time donation or a monthly donation, and that gets you access to our Patreon-only Facebook group. And we also just picked three winners for Blown Deadline. You're familiar with Blown Deadline, right? I am. Yeah, so he does some really awesome like Cerakote jobs and stuff. We were three months behind, so we just picked three lucky Patreons. And then also wanted to thank the $25 patrons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran, 8888, Sake Holsters, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Sportsman's Guide, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Calamore, Daniel Lee, Nick Theodosian, Theo, the, Theodosian. Yeah, let's just go with Nick Theodosian. I still haven't heard from him. So last week I must not have chopped up his name too bad. And then there Melissa Writings. And King of the Patreon is still Jon Snow. And Mike, I just want to thank you again for joining me. Can you just remind listeners once again where they can find you on social media and YouTube and all that stuff? Absolutely. Pretty much all of the socials. It is Mr. Guns and Gear with an N. And then on Instagram, it is Mr. Guns and Gear channel. All right. Great. All right. And on that note, we're out of here and I will see you guys next week. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.